After a couple of setbacks for New York this fall in pursuit of the state's statutory goal of obtaining 70% of its electricity from renewable energy sources by 2030, Governor Kathy Hochul announced plans for three new offshore wind projects and 22 land-based renewable energy projects, which are projected to generate the equivalent of 12% of New York's electricity needs in 2030 and represent the state's largest investment to date in renewable energy, according to a state press release. For more on this announcement and a broader look at the renewable energy landscape. We're joined by the unofficial energy emperor of New York, Doreen Harris, whose official title is president and CEO of the New York Energy Research and Development Authority. Welcome back to the show, Doreen, and congrats on the title bump moving up from Energy Czar. I'm feeling good today. Uh, Emperor it is. I'm in. So what should we know about the projects announced recently by the governor? For example, what will the wind projects consist of? Yes, yesterday's announcement by Governor Hochul, I would consider a, a a blockbuster announcement because of the scale of commitment that was included. Uh, you mentioned the the amount of energy these projects will produce. It's a real game changer for the state, for sure. But it does consist of a few different resources. So just to, to boil it down, uh, included in the announcement were three offshore wind projects, uh, all told over four gigawatts of capacity. And those projects were complemented by 22 land-based renewable energy projects. So those are typically wind and solar projects, but that are installed on land, often in the upstate region. So we have wind of two types, Dave, uh, land-based and offshore included in this award group. So then taking the group as a whole, how much will this cost and what kind of rate increase will that translate to for utility customers uh, all over New York? The way that our contracts work, it's important to note um, these are actually payments that are made when the projects are constructed and ultimately delivering to New York and to your point toward the goals of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So, so the contracts themselves uh, function in a way that there's actually no cost at the moment uh, to consumers. The press release includes some metrics, though, that relate to costs, um, estimating that the land-based renewable projects, again, those, those 22 projects, will have an impact on consumers of about 30 cents a month. This would be on their utility bills. Uh, the offshore wind projects would would be closer to $2.90. So all told, a little over $3 a month. And really, the key here is, is that only when constructed and delivering would those costs be incurred. And, and fundamentally, as, as is typically the case with these projects, we look at the benefits compared to the costs and some really, really exciting benefits coming to the state, not only with respect to economic development activities, but also the jobs that they will bring over 8,300 jobs. So, so it is, it's, it's a win all around as, as we see it. I'm glad you brought up the idea of the benefits and costs because the State Public Service Commission recently uh, rejected a request from renewable energy developers for billions of uh, dollars in additional subsidies for some ongoing projects that had commitments. And explaining that decision, the PSC chair uh, talked about the cost benefit of the issue and not wanting to put uh, additional costs onto New Yorkers. Uh, Additionally, the governor wanted to change how New York calculates certain emissions because of cost concerns. So 
with that backdrop, and you talked about cost-benefit there a second ago, can you explain the cost-benefit analysis that was done for this new round of projects? When taking up a goal like New York's goal, just to be sure folks are aware, we have a 9-gigawatt offshore wind goal by 2035. It's really part of the ways in which we'll get to 70 by 30. In adopting those goals, which the Public Service Commission has done, they definitely uh, included in in, in those proceedings is a consideration of costs and benefits. That's fundamentally how we advance these policies to ensure that we're doing so in a manner that, again, the benefits do outweigh the costs. So, so when we look at this, it really comes down to the original decision, i.e., should we advance the climate law? The answer to that is yes on that basis. Is 9 gigawatts going to benefit New Yorkers more than it will cost New Yorkers? The answer to that is also yes. So now when we look at these projects moving forward, we really look at ways in which we can improve the actual cost profile for consumers. And the primary way we do that is by competition. Uh, We ran an extraordinarily complex but competitive process, both for the awards announced yesterday and have done so for going on 20 years. And what it has revealed is not only that that reveals not only the market price, but the best market prices for these projects. And so long and short of it is the commission's decision that you're referencing, I'd say was one more based on process than than the substance per se, because the commission, and rightly so, wants to uphold the competitive principles that are inherent in these policies, um, and that will drive prices down. So that's what we've done. Um, glad to talk about next steps with the existing projects, but I think competition is key in all of this. So understanding then the cost-benefit balance that you're talking about, it sounds like when you're doing the equation, you're seeing the benefit being achieving the 2030 goals and that the cost is basically just choosing between the best of the options that you get. Is it possible, though, that some of the options that you're getting necessarily aren't worth it? I mean, how, how do you determine whether you should just avoid all of the bids that are put in and say that maybe that 2030 goal isn't really worth achieving? So we do have means by which um, we could contain costs and do contain costs in these solicitations. Um, One way we do so is having maximum pricing above which we will not award any contracts. Mm. We also run these solicitations largely on the basis of price. In fact, 70% of the weighting is is price because for that very reason, we want the projects that that bring the most cost-effective solutions forward in the first instance. And we do so in strong consultation with the Department of Public Service staff or the staff of the Public Service Commission, all with those principles in mind. So we always can accept or reject any and all bids. In this instance, it was with the support of that process and ultimately those competitive principles that we saw coming forward to bring forward what I would view as a pretty incredible um, award group announced yesterday. Well, in the press release announcing the contracted projects, it says that uh, New York has now got 
commitments worth up to 79% of the 2030 projected electricity demand. You've previously said on this show that there is an expectation as we move along and develop green energy projects that not all of the pledged projects will be realized. So why do you think, or maybe you don't think, that these new energy projects will get built? Well, we have literally as I said, undertaken these very similar processes for a couple of decades now. We have dozens and dozens of projects that have been built over two gigawatts of capacity. In fact, it is very much true that this model works, Um, but it is fair to say that we are in a situation where there are market dynamics that have created uh, headwinds for many projects, specifically renewable energy projects, not only in New York, but but writ large. Um, The industry's been affected by global dynamics related to inflation and supply chain issues, et cetera, such that we have and will continue to need to stay on top of these issues as, as we see our portfolio evolve. You know, we plan for a, a future that may not have a necessarily a straight line between here and 2030 and certainly 2040 and 50. So that's how these programs are designed. Um, to the extent that we have attrition in our portfolio, we'll seek to restore that pipeline. Um, certainly that was part of Governor Hochul's 10-point plan that was announced recently, that we need to take stock of our portfolio and move swiftly to restore it to the extent that there is attrition. Well, in terms of next steps in the wake of this announcement, are there other projects that the state is currently considering uh, committing? Are you going to be sending out a new request for proposals in the near future? What's on the horizon? I'd say that there's there's two primary work streams and those with respect to procurement. The 10-point plan talks about dozens of other activities we have underway, but long and short of it is we do want to continue our progress apace. So we will continue the cadence of procurements, as I said, that we've been running for many years, both for land-based renewables and offshore wind. Those are commitments that we've made and we've kept and will continue to do so. The governor also has instructed us to really make haste of assessing the status of our contracted portfolio in light of these economic issues they're claiming and stating. Um, We'll be doing that actually on an accelerated basis to determine whether and if there's an accelerated RFP that we may want to run in the meantime to to refill any capacity that that may be lost. So we're we're looking at this both with respect to addressing near-term issues, but continuing that momentum in the longer term as well. And what about the transmission side of things, actually getting this renewable energy power to people? Uh, the Clean Path New York project, which is supposed to help modernize New York's energy grid, uh, the developers of that told state regulators that their project is also no longer financially viable without additional funding commitments from the state. Where does that stand right now? And broadly speaking, do you have concerns about adequate transmission in, in 2030 and beyond? Yeah, transmission, I'd call it the unsung hero of, uh, of how we get from here to there. But it's been encouraging the, that not only the industry, but policymakers and certainly the federal government are paying more and more attention to this issue because it is going to necessitate a significant build out of our grid. So 
so we see good momentum here in the states. Um, we see the Public Service Commission approving over 60 different projects that are necessary to unbottle upstate renewables. We see hundreds of miles of transmission projects underway as we speak. And then I think specific to the offshore wind resource, we see a really exciting approval of a project that will help to deliver offshore wind from Long Island to New York City occurring in the last number of months while we plan for longer term um, investments as it relates to the broader nine gigawatt goal. And in fact, even how we might use offshore wind to interconnect New York to other regions around the state, we call that, or around the country um, and the region, we call that interregional transmission planning. And in that vein, you know, we see a lot of opportunity coming forward with federal alignment. In fact, we are working very visibly with the Department of Energy and the new Northeastern states around this topic alone. So yes, uh, certainly we see similar challenges with the Clean Path New York project that you had described. We'll await any commission decision on that petition. But I would say generally I'm feeling very good about the ways in which we are advancing transmission solutions to address these, these near-term and long-term needs. Well, we've been speaking with Doreen Harris. She is the president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Doreen, thank you so much for making the time, and we look forward to having you back on for uh, many more questions. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.